0: Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning as we continue our series. Let me just give a little recap. What we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks in chapter 2 is the Apostle Paul is, of course, writing this letter to the Corinthian church, which they were a problem church, and he continues to give them gospel answers. We've been seeing the distinction here. Of two different kinds of people that he is speaking of. The first person he calls the spiritual man. And this is one who is characterized by having the Spirit of God control his life. The desires of the spiritual man are brought on by the Holy Spirit. These desires produced by the Holy Spirit in the spiritual man is one that causes him to hate sin, to love God, to love God's Word, to love God's people. The spiritual man's life is controlled by God as God fills him by the Holy Spirit. And of course, I hope you know when I say man, I'm also meaning woman, right? God's people, right? This is the words there. This is a generic mankind. Uh, Not just the Holy Spirit, of course, controls men. We need the women to be controlled by the Holy Spirit too. Amen. I thought I'd get some more amens there. In other words, the spiritual... Man, or the spiritual person, is the born-again Christian. The second person that Paul speaks of, which contrasts to the spiritual man, is the natural man. The natural man. This is a man who is characterized by having his natural desires control his life. The desires of the natural man are brought upon by his sinful nature. The natural man loves sin, hates God, does not want God's word, does not desire God's people the natural man's life is not controlled by the Spirit. He doesn't have the Spirit. He is controlled by his flesh, by his nature. So the natural man is every person in his natural state from birth. It's who you were on your birthday, the day you were born, until the Lord Jesus, or by his Holy Spirit, regenerated you by his Spirit, creating in you a new person, a spiritual person, one that is controlled by the Spirit of God. So those are the two people that we've seen in chapter 2, the spiritual man and the natural man. We focused on the natural man last week, how the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, their folly to him. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned or spiritually lacking. And so, we need to remember what's going on in Corinth and why Paul is bringing this up. Paul is saying, guys, what are you doing like, literally, what are you doing? You're letting the natural things of this world supersede what is spiritual as if it is superior. Remember that the Corinthians were prone to elevate those who were gifted in philosophy. Gifted in wisdom, human wisdom. They, those who were gifted in oratory skills as those who were better equipped to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And Paul is saying, do you understand who these natural people are? How can they fulfill the plans of the Spirit of God when they don't even have the Spirit of God within them? And so let's understand what is happening here. The natural person, no matter how wise they are, no matter how philosophical they are, they do not understand the things of the Spirit of God. And therefore, they are not greater, especially from a spiritual, spiritual perspective, than the one who has the Holy Spirit. Those who are born again by God's Spirit. So let's look at verse 15. Verse 14, he talks about the natural man. Now he goes back to the spiritual person. He's telling these Corinthian believers this. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The word judge there literally means evaluated. Evaluated. It means evaluated in the original Greek there. This isn't saying, and people misinterpret this verse by saying, this isn't saying that the world can't issue a judgment on Christians. They should especially issue a judgment, especially when Christians are hypocrites. Again, in context, the meaning is not about the lifestyles of Christians, but the context is what the natural man knows about God. How can the natural man who has no spiritual discernment, evaluate the things of God in a spiritual person when they don't even comprehend those things because they're foolishness to them. Again, Paul's making a point. Do you understand what you Corinthians are really doing by elevating philosophers and orators to this level of superiority above the Spirit of God? The natural man knows and understands his flesh The spiritual man knows, understands God. Why does he do that? Look at verse 16. This is Paul's point. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The reason that the natural person cannot understand the things of God is because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But the reason the spiritual person or the believer can understand the things of the Spirit of God is because they have the spirit. And the spirit is the one who searches the deep things of God. It is the spirit is the one who teaches the believer how to evaluate the things of God. And therefore, give me the worst speaker. Give me the worst person skilled in philosophy. Who has the Holy Spirit of God. And put him up against any Corinthian philosopher orator any day. Any day. And he will run circles around him when it comes to spiritual things. This is Paul's point as he's bringing them back to a proper understanding. What Paul does is, here is he quotes from Isaiah 40.13. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. Who has taught God anything? Nobody. Nobody has taught the Lord anything. You think you, natural people, are going to think and going to teach God something? You're wrong. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Hey, after 11 chapters of Romans, by the way, eventually we're going to preach Romans. And it might take us 10 years to preach through it. (laughs) I cannot wait for those days. But uh, in Romans chapter 11, Paul concludes 11 chapters of, wow weightiness. And this is what he says. Oh, that's the first thing he says. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his, understand, are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. And here's this quote again. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Same thing. Who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Who knows the mind of God? Not the natural man. Only the person who has the spirit of God because the spirit is himself God. Not the philosopher, not the eloquent speaker, not the politician. But the person who has the spiritual, this Holy Spirit of God, it could be said of him that he has the mind of Christ. Remember what Paul said about the Holy Spirit in verse 10 of chapter 2. These things God has revealed to us. Why does a spiritual person know these things? Because God has revealed them to us. How? Through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything. Everything. Even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except that spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Oh yeah. This is so good. So good. And now we go to chapter 3. And it's about to get serious. It's about to get awkward for these Corinthians. Because after Paul just sets up this distinction, spiritual people, natural people, he's about to drop the hammer. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. After just telling them, the spiritual person can't be judged by anyone, for he has the mind of Christ, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as People of the flesh as infants in Christ. First of all, let's make a note that he addresses the Corinthians as believers. He calls them brothers. That's very important. These people are believers in Jesus Christ. He would not have called them brothers otherwise. He would not have said what he said in chapter 1 otherwise. That they are being sanctified That they've been enriched in Christ if they weren't believers. So, let's just make that clear. The Corinthians were messed up people. Just like we at Northwest Baptist Church are messed up people, right? And thankfully, we don't want to know what Paul would write to us. (laughs) So, we'll just piggyback off the Corinthians here. These Corinthians were messed up people, but he's making sure from the very beginning that in spite of their great spiritual immaturity, he is affirming their faith. I, brothers, but I, brothers, but there's a but there. I could not address you as spiritual people. So here you have the Spirit of God in you. You are believers, but I can't even talk to you like you're controlled by the Spirit. You don't act like it. Even though it's true that you are and you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, Corinthians, Corinthians, I couldn't do it. And I can't do it now. Interesting. Now he's saying that they're not spiritual people. He said, I can't address you as spiritual people. But as what? As people of the flesh. And there he goes that analogy. What is he saying? I can't, sometimes I can't talk to you like you're believers. Sometimes I have to approach you like you're unbelievers. Whoa. I have to treat you as if you are people of the flesh or as infants, babies in Christ. As infants. He didn't say that they were natural people, but they're certainly acting like it. Now let's be very clear about this passage that is very often confused in a lot of Christian circles. There is this I think made up word that is very confusing for many 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 people. Some people look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and they come up with a third category of person. So we already know the first two, right? Natural people, unbeliever. Spiritual people, believer. Some people look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and come up with a third category, and that is carnal Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Let me explain. You cannot be both at the same time. What? By saying carnal Christian is another way to say you're an unbeliever believer. Does that make sense? No. You cannot be both at the same time. If God has caused you to be born again by his spirit, you're spiritual. If God has justified you and declared you to be righteous... You are in Christ now. You have positional holiness now. Even though you are not everything you ought to be. When God sees you, he sees Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his obedience. You are positionally holy. Remember that word. That's where you stand before God. Positionally, you are sanctified In the eyes of God. Now, if you are positionally holy, how can you be classified as positionally carnal? You can't be dead and alive. You're either one or the other. Are we tracking? You can't be an unbeliever and a believer. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, I have to treat you like this third class of people. I have to treat you as if you are positionally holy, because that is true. But practically speaking, you are living like the world. Practically speaking, you are living as if your nature is controlling you. Not the spirit of God that is in you. You can't have your foot in both hearts at the same time you can't mix the two it's an oxymoron to say carnal Christian and really this term was invented decades ago just prop to settle a problem that people were having because there were scores of people who said the sinner's prayer now this is so important if you don't get anything else out of the sermon get this there are scores of people who have said the prayer you know what I mean I'm a sinner, God save me, please forgive me, amen. They've said a sinner's prayer in an evangelistic crusade, or they walked the aisle at church. In a moment, they did this, and they've never been seen again. Perhaps you know people like that. They've said the prayer, but they've never darkened the doors of a church. And some people would say, well, they said the prayer. They've got to be a Christian. But their life never changed. There was never any repentance. There was never any evidence of any kind of spiritual growth. And so what happened is when you had all these thousands and thousands of people coming to Jesus. And because some preachers like to pad their statistics of their influence in the kingdom. You have to create a third kind of category which says, well, we got this many people to say the prayer. Look at the powerful eternal impact we're making for Jesus. And all they're doing is deceiving people and leading them straight to hell on a prayer. Because those people are not more saved than any demon in hell. That's the truth. That's the truth. Let's put it simply. A person who has professed faith in Jesus and has maybe even been baptized, but has never, listen, but has never grown in their faith, is not a Christian. If you've said, if, you became, if your testimony is that you became a Christian 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and your life is no different today than it was back then, you're a false convert. If you are unable to grow spiritually, it's because you've never been born again. That's the truth. That which is alive naturally grows That which is dead does not. The natural man is born dead to spiritual things. And so in his life, if there is no spiritual growth, if there's no spiritual hunger for God, if there's no repentance for sin, all these things are produced by who? The Spirit. You cannot have the Spirit and not have evidence of it. These things are seen in your hunger and your... And your love of God and your desires changing, your affections being completely different than they were before. In this war that we're fighting against our flesh every day, these things are evidence. And if a person says that they're a Christian, but their life has never changed, that's a serious problem. That's like having a baby. And 30 years later, you'd never bring it home from the hospital because it's still there. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And this is the fear that I have for many, many people. And so this word is invented. Carnal Christian. They're an unbeliever believer. They're a, they're a dead, living person. No. For many, eternity for them is literally, as Bon Jovi once sang, living on a prayer. I got news for you, my friends, and I tell you this because I love you and I care for your soul. Nobody goes to heaven because they said a sinner's prayer. Nobody. There's not one verse in the scripture which commands us to repeat a prayer and say amen, and then you've sealed the deal like you're going to heaven. What does the Bible say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's what it says. That's what it says. Anyone can repeat a prayer. Anyone can repeat after the preacher or another person, and it doesn't go anywhere Because it's not real. You go to heaven because you believe the gospel. Which says that Jesus Christ died for my sins. As my substitute. I deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus died in my place. And then he satisfied the wrath of almighty God. And rose again on the third day. This is why I'm saved. Not because of me. But because of what he has done. And by my faith, he's declared me righteous, gave me his spirit, and now caused me to live. That's why people are saved. And I fear that there's many, many people who are one day going to stand before God on judgment day. And they're going, God's going to ask them, why should I let you into heaven? And their answer is going to be, well, I repeated a prayer when I was eight years old. No. No. Again, I ask you to search your hearts. Eternity is at stake. A genuine Christian filled by the Spirit of God is evidenced by change and spiritual growth in your life. This is the problem. If you planted what you thought was a mango seed in a pot and watered it, and gave it lots of sunlight. But 10 years later, that seed never grew and it's still buried in the dirt. Would you walk around and say, hey, I have a mango tree. I've got mangoes I can pick for you. You wouldn't. If you planted that seed in the pot with the dirt and ten years later you got nothing something is wrong with the seed it's not real again if you look at your life and say I became a Christian here but then you look at your life since then say where's the evidence where's the proof if I were to be put on trial standing before God to provide evidence what would I do What could I say? Not just in external deeds, but my internal affections and desires. Because the gospel is not just about behavior modification, changing the way we behave. The gospel is about giving you a new heart. Ripping out the old stony dead one. And giving you a real heart that beats and breathes for God. That gives you all the desires that you need. I tell you what's wrong with many churches. They're filled with unconverted people. That's what's wrong with many churches. That's what's wrong with our country. We're filled with people who claim the name of Christ but do not know Christ. And it's to these people that the Lord Jesus will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. If you're trusting in a prayer to be saved, I got news for you. You, That is a work you are trying to produce for God. And the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved, and it's not your own doing. Again, if you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, look at your life to see the evidence. Is there any repentance from sin? Is there any desire to worship God? Is there any desire to read his word? Is there any desire to share your faith? Is there any desire to serve God and his church and to be with his people? If there is, then praise God. Some of us just grow slower than others. Like Paul is saying to them here. I can't address you as spiritually mature people. I have to treat you like babies in Christ. Not that you're not saved, but you're letting your old life control you instead of yielding control and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God to obey. So we need not create a third category of people. There's only spiritual people and natural people. That's it. You're either saved or you're not. You either have the Spirit or you don't. There's nothing in between. Notice here what Paul is also saying. Even though you are spiritual, I've had to address you as as you were people of the flesh. As infants in Christ. He's not talking about their positional nature before God. He's talking about the practical implications of their holiness and their obedience to God. Here's why. Look at verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. He still has to treat them as if they are babies when it comes to spiritual truth. Paul says, when I first gave you, when I first met you and you first believed, and I was within Corinth, he was in Corinth for 18 months before he left. I gave you milk. Why? Because when someone believes, they need milk, just like a baby. You don't give a baby a sirloin steak. Why? They can't handle it. They need to mature and grow in order to be able to digest the deep doctrines of the faith. You give them the milk of the word. It's not different levels of truth, but it's different levels of maturity that takes time for the Holy Spirit to grow us and mature us to be able to digest what we can. And these Corinthians or acting in such a way that they are more controlled by their flesh at times, even though they are saved, that they miss the big point. And this is why they're not growing. When 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 can a baby eat milk when it's born? You don't give a baby steak. It's because you're very immature, Corinthians. Babes in Christ Oh, yeah. For while, and here's the evidence that he's going to give them. Why is he saying this? For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Again, human or flesh. What is he saying? You're acting as if your life is characterized by your old life. And you know what? There's no Christian that is immune to that. A Christian isn't someone who loses their old sinful nature. Boy, I wish that was true. I wish I didn't sin anymore. I wish I didn't struggle anymore. I wish that were true for all of us. My job as a pastor would be very much easier. No. The Christian is somebody who battles with two natures. Always at war with one another. The old me wants to do this, but the new me inspired by the Spirit compels me to do that. And they're both at odds against one another. And here's the thing, Christian, you never have to cave to your flesh, ever. There is nobody who could say, it's just the way I am, man. I've struggled this with my whole life, so this is just what I'm going to be. There's no man in here who'd say, you know, I've lusted my whole life. So I guess I'm just going to keep lusting my whole life as well. No, that's wicked. You're denying the power of the gospel in your life. If you're a gossip and you're just prone to spread juicy news to around people, that's a sin. The Bible calls it a sin. Say, well, I just can't help it. I just got to get the juiciest detail and just pass it on. Repent. Repent of those desires. Somebody who's greedy or prideful or... Jealous. You name the sin. That doesn't go away. What goes away is its control over my life. What goes away, it's the power and the dominion it once held over me. Because now that I'm a spiritual man, a believer who has the Holy Spirit in me, I no longer have to do those things, even though sometimes I may still choose to. And if my life is still characterized by that kind of life, and there's no evidence of that, then I need to ask myself, boy, am I truly saved? Am I still a natural man? Or am I just a spiritual person who needs to repent of some things and show my evidence of repentance in this way and my love for God? And so what were the Corinthians doing? They were jealous. They were causing division. Remember, he's already addressed this. Somehow they 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 were fanboys of their favorite celebrity apostle. You know, they had the Paulites and the and and the Apollites and you, all, and you had people after Peter, and we've all gone through we've already been through there, we don't need to bring it up again, but they all were jealous, like Paul's better than Peter. It's almost like little kids in the schoolyard saying, My dad can beat up your dad. Remember what Paul said in chapter 1. Did Paul die for you? Were you baptized in my name? No. Follow Christ. You all are in one family. Why are you fighting? And he says because you're saying these things, you're acting human or natural. You're acting in your old nature. And this is why I can't address you like your life is controlled by the Spirit of God. Your life by jealousy and division is driven by these other ways. And you include this, your sin in there. Those of you who are truly in Christ, we go through this every day. This is why in Sunday mornings, Randall led us this morning beautifully in a time of confession of sin. An assurance of pardon. Why? Because Christians aren't people who don't sin. Christians are people who war against their sin. We're people who are honest to know that I am still weak but I have a strong Savior and I don't have to keep living that life and caving into that life and making excuses for that life. I know the power of Christ in me by His Spirit and God, forgive me. I confess this now. Now empower me the next time to say no, to rip those desires out of me, to cause me to obey God with the light of God. Joy, and so Paul is calling them out because of this jealousy and strife. They were splitting the church in Corinth, and Paul says that that was wicked, sinful, and that's what the world does. Why are you acting like that in the church? You are not. Are you not merely being human? Your life is characterized by your old nature. Repent. And this is the battle of our lives, brothers and sisters. This is how our journey of sanctification. What is sanctification? It is a journey that begins the moment you believe. In which God, through a long and lengthy lifetime process, makes you holy. You are positionally holy the moment you begin. But practically holy you're not. God sees you as holy, we do not see you as holy, right? Because we know each other. God sees you in Christ, we ought to see each other in Christ as well, but we see how we live every day. And so every day as we live, as we grow, as the Holy Spirit controls our life and changes us into the image of Christ, we should be sinning less and less and less, forsaking all those things that we once held dear this is the journey of our life. This is the battle that we face every day. Turn to Romans chapter 8 and we'll, we'll finish here. Romans chapter 8. By the way, for the record, if I'm ever on my deathbed, please somebody come read Romans 8 to me my favorite chapter in all the Bible. Such comfort and hope. Romans chapter 8. Start with verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And here you go. Here's Paul's making the distinction between the natural man and the spiritual man in Romans. Who are Christians? We are Christians who are who are they are those who are supposed to walk not according to our old ways, our flesh, the old man, our natural man, but according to who? The Spirit of God. For those who live according to the flesh, verse five, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. There it is. It's a daily battle that begins where? In your mind, believer. Every day, you make your life harder and more difficult to obey God and to forsake sin because of what you allow yourself to think about. What you allow into your life to draw you away from God. What you allow to pollute and corrupt you. You struggle with certain aspects and then you get as close to the fire thinking you're not going to get burned. Are you crazy? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Think on spiritual things. Fill yourself with the Word of God. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, he says to the Romans, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are positionally holy. Right now, even though you don't act like it, you are right now in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Again, it's always a battle against the flesh or the spirit. So the question then becomes, again, I asked you last week, who are you? Are you a natural man still? Natural person? Meaning what? There's no desire for God in you. There's no love of God, no obedience to God, no warring or fighting against sin, nothing. You have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could, again, we've already made clear, you could still be a natural man and say the sinner's prayer. You could be a natural man and served in Awana for the last 50 years. You could be a natural man and be a deacon. You could be a natural man and be a pastor's kid. It doesn't matter. Question is, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? The mango seed, if it's real, will grow to be a mango tree. And will produce fruit to show it. And the Spirit of God, which is the seed of God, in our hearts will show the evidence of it as well. And God will grow you. No, you're not the person you ought to be. None of us are. But the longer you live in this body with the Spirit, God is ripping your old life out one piece at a time. And he does this in various different ways. He does this through good times and he does it through bad. He does it through trials. And he does it through the most happiest days of your life. There's nothing in your life that's wasted by accident in which God is not doing his process and work of sanctification in you nothing is wasted are you a spiritual person is the spirit of god in you praise god praise god but dan i struggle good join the club we're still wrestling against our flesh we're still warring against our old nature join the club Every day is a battle. Every day is a choice. Oh, God, fill me. Empower me. God, I need you. I can't do this without you. Good. Good. Those desires are good. And those desires are proof that the tree is alive. You sit there like, I don't care. I mean, I just, I just show up because I have to. <laughs> I show up because if I wasn't here, then what would people think of me? I'm just here because, I don't know. I don't ever read my Bible. I don't ever pray. I don't ever witness. I don't ever, I don't, I don't even want to come here today. You have no desire ever in your heart from God? That's a problem. It's not a real seed that was planted. I pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, would convict you if you were still a natural person needing to be saved. And how you do that, again, is what the Bible says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. That belief is not from you. It comes from his spirit producing it in you. And I pray he will draw you to himself to make that real, to make that genuine. Not because of something you did 20, 30 years ago. Some people say, well, I can't let people know about that. What would they know if they find out I wasn't a Christian until now? Who cares? You think we're all going to care when we're in heaven when you got saved? Who cares? Put your pride aside. Put your pride aside. Better to be humbled in this life and let people know, hey, I thought I was a Christian. I just figured it out. Than to burn in the lake of fire under God's wrath forever. Oh, let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you again for your word. God, thank you again for this challenge and encouragement. God, I pray that we would be a church with people full of true conversions. God, that we would see the real fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That true belief has happened in our hearts by your grace. God, you know who are yours. Give them assurance. May your Spirit bear witness with their spirit that they are children of God. Father, for those who are not, I pray, God, that you would convict their heart, humble them right now, that they would see the truth of the beauty of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for Christians whose maybe growth is stunted because their consciences have been wounded because they've grieved the Spirit. May you renew them to repentance. May you renew them to repentance today and assure them of their faith in you. Father, what a life, what a journey of sanctification. Painful journey. Oh God, what a painful journey. But what a journey that glorifies you and honors you. You have designed it this way. Even though, God, we are such foolish people who always want to return to our flesh, always want to run to what we used to want. My God, help us to remember that we're a new creation. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've created a new man in us that's no longer dead to spiritual things. But as alive unto God through your gospel. And Lord, may that gospel continue to penetrate hearts and raise the dead in this room and online. May people truly believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved, that they're sinners in need of a Savior, that they stand guilty under God's judgment and wrath, and may they trust in Christ alone not in a prayer, not in their baptism, not in their church membership, but grace through faith in Christ according to your scripture alone for your glory. Oh, God, help us now. We have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Our faith has found the resting place. God, help us now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's stand and sing this hymn. If I could help you, if you want to talk to me, please talk to me. I, that's why we're here. We love to help you through the things we've mentioned today. Let's sing. Have a great week. God bless you.